Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Vent. This is Vent Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Let's get a cracking. Hey, and welcome to Vent Weekly. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Nuruddin. Each episode, we chat to a journalist or expert about a topic we think is important. So I know you're thinking why we're here today, because Vent Weekly usually comes out on a Wednesday, but we're sometimes going to release bonus episodes on days where something we care about happens. And today is one of those days, because of one word, Brexit. So yeah, we're Brexiting today. The UK is leaving the EU. And the story of how we got here, in my opinion, is just so long. It's been a long, long journey, don't you think? Of course. But there's one guy who played a key role in Brexit and is now going to make a lot of decisions as we move forward in 2020. And if you didn't know who that guy is, that guy is Boris Boris Johnson. Johnson. Um, He's our prime minister, but who actually is he? And how did he get to where he is today? Because I'm not going to lie, I don't think I know his story. No, I I need to learn it. Well, I know of Boris Johnson's life and career before he became Prime Minister. I know fuck all about Boris Johnson's life. He was the editor for The Spectator. Boris Johnson was a journalist. Boris Johnson rugby tackles children. He was riding his Brompton. He falls off bikes. He had ridiculous hair, he still does. I know he's Mayor of London. He was the Mayor of London. He's written some controversial stuff that's got a lot of right-wing kind of leanings. And he's super conservative. (laughs) So today we've invited journalist Marie LeConte into the studio. Hey Marie, could you introduce yourself? Hello, um, I'm Marie LeConte. Uh, I'm a journalist, as you've said, so specialising in British politics. I'm originally French Moroccan uh, and I moved to Britain just over 10 years ago and somehow got sucked into um, the world of Westminster. It's kind of my life now. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's nice to have you. We'll start with Boris Johnson himself. So could you give us a summary of his background and maybe where he grew up, university and just how he became PM? One of my favourite facts about him, actually, is that by the time he was 15, he'd lived in 30 different houses. He was born in New York, so his parents were 22 and 23, then moved back to the UK for a bit, then moved back to the US and then throughout that, around the US, then back to the UK, then lived in Brussels for a bit, then came back. He's got um, several siblings. So there's a, he's the oldest one. There's Rachel, who's a bit younger than him. And then there's Leo, then there's Joe. And yeah, no, they're, they're kind of this like quite chaotic messy family but also interestingly clearly you know by the standards of like Britain in general like quite posh family but they kind of have always inhabited those like super 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 posh circles so I think that by comparison they've always felt quite hard done by and they feel like they're the kind of like scrappy outsiders who've had to fight their way in Um, and actually you know that tells quite a lot I think about Boris as a person as well where he clearly feels that you know they all got to where they are because they just worked so very very hard so he ended up at Eton uh, on a scholarship Mm. Uh, so he did 
that and was the um, the secretary of the debating society there. I've been to oh. Eton. Was there for a week on summer school. I realized how posh it really was. Like you have to wear gowns down to your ankles, and like I was like, nah, I need to go back to reality. Like, I need yeah. to go back to, to ends. <laughs> This is not it. So that's kind of actually the place where a lot of people say that Boris kind of started creating his persona. Lots of former prime ministers went to Eton. It's an all-boys school. It's eye-wateringly expensive. And it's very much, you know, kind of like where I think the future elite kind of meet as children. So David Cameron was there roughly at the same time, etc. So it, it, it is kind of you know, very much the playground uh, of, the, of the future powerful. Mm. Do you have to be like really well-groomed to like study there? Because I'm sorry, why is his hair like that? Because if you're going, like you said, to school, you wear long gowns, you've got to look good. Why does he look like this now? So I think there's two things. The first one is that actually precisely because he went to the sort of place where everyone was quite like, you know, polished and everything. Yeah. So how you stand out is that you don't look like that. But also, and I think that several TV producers have talked about it before, where Boris, when he used to appear, like, quite, obviously quite a lot on telly, um, as a journalist or as a, as a politician, would turn up with, like, basically normal-looking hair yeah. and then would ruffle it up and really mess it up, like, seconds before going on air. So it is entirely, you know, it, it is part of his image. Like, it's not, you know, his hair's <laughs> not naturally like that. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so from there, he got to Oxford on a bursary as well, um, ending up like famously joining the Bullingdon Club, which is mm-hmm. effectively just this group of like boys who like drinking a lot and destroying stuff. Like and a then frat, like a frat. It's basically like a posh frat of like, yeah, like, let's go to dinner. Let's get incredibly, incredibly drunk on very expensive stuff. And then sort of like just pay the restaurants, whatever, to be like, yeah, we destroyed everything. But, you know, also we can afford we to can pay afford for the repairs. To pay for it now. So, so, yeah, in, in many ways, the worst people. Um, and he was the secretary of the Oxford Union as well, um, where, fun fact, his lackey there was Michael Gove. So, oh. again, so all wow. of those people have known each other for decades and decades. All of those people didn't come to know each other as adults and as politicians like they grew up together. Was he? Yeah, yeah, your age, younger, like kind of, that's when he knew each other. So he did that. Then he became a journalist at the Times uh, and he got fired for making up quotes. Uh, just very much like, in many ways, the Plagiarism. one thing you don't do as a journalist. That's literally just like journalism 101. <laughs> Make up quotes. That just shows from an early age he's right to be a politician because politicians lie all the time. So he, <laughs> he was preparing himself. Do I think politicians are trustworthy? No, they are not. I think some politicians are trustworthy, but not all. Definitely not. They're going to fuck over whoever they need to to get to that higher office. I think some politicians are trustworthy. It's human nature, you know, you can't please everybody. So if that makes them untrustworthy, then yes, they are. So after he got fired from the Times, what, what did he do after? Well, great question. He got a job at the Telegraph instead because people like him only fell upwards. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and from there, so he became the Brussels correspondent and in many ways, actually, is one of the journalists who kind of started the trend of uh, British journalists in Brussels writing like demented stories about, you know, Brussels trying to ban, I don't know, like, you know, straight bananas or whatever. And then so in 1999, he became the editor of The Spectator, the right-wing magazine, and there's actually a fun sort of like little telling story around that time which is that he kind of wanted to become a Tory MP anyway and we sort of knew that and so when he accepted the job at The Spectator there was one condition which was please don't stand to be an MP while the editor of the, this magazine and he was like you know obviously no problem at the same time he was talking to the Henley Conservative Association who were like okay we'd like to have you as uh, our MP but it's just you know you can't become the editor of The Spectator if you do that or at least you'll have to resign from that job if you become an MP wow 
entirely predictably, he became the editor of The Spectator, and then two years later, he became an MP, and he just kept both. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay, Boris. Yeah, if you can get away with it, why not do it? Um, and uh, and yes, for quite a long time, he did both these things, and then, and then effectively, like long story short, ran to be London mayor in 2007 and basically there was a bit of like drama among the Tories when Boris became the candidate because obviously said David Cameron was the Tory leader and it was the idea of like okay Boris is clearly quite a credible you know contender for the crown eventually and everyone knows he wants it everyone knows he wants to be prime minister when he was a child um he wanted to grow up and become I quote world king um wow you know and they were like busy fine we can just kind of you know if you actually put him in London in City Hall that's quite good because that gets him away from the House of Commons because actually you know in Britain the way to become like the Prime Minister is not like a president in other countries it's very much like physically within the House of Commons so it's a lot harder to rise normally through the ranks if you're not there but yeah so you know obviously um, was uh, London Mayor decided to come back to the Commons a few years later um, so he became the MP for Uxbridge and then from the second he came back everyone was like okay we know he wants to become Prime Minister I think there was this sense that he probably couldn't do it because, again, if you want to become prime minister in Britain, A, you kind of need a number of people around you so that these are the people who will court other MPs on your behalf and kind of, you know, like your inner circle. And you need to do, you know, the kind of like whining and dining. So in the House of Commons, you go for a drink. See, the House of Commons has pubs. So you kind of go there, you go to the tea rooms, you chat to people. Crazy. Um, So basically... Kissing everybody's ass, so that basically. They, so basically that. But he never really did that, and and again because he didn't really rise to the ranks in the Commons, he never. Because normally, I think what's really important um, in British politics again is intake when people are elected. So it's kind of like school, I guess. So you know, there's like everyone, there's a year, and you kind of stick together with your year. So MPs very much do that as well. Mm. So by election, so you know, let's say Tory MPs were elected in like 2015, whatever, will always have a bit of a group, etc. And you kind of go up the ranks like with them. And Boris never really had that. Then obviously what changed everything was Brexit. Um, he said a telegraph column by that point and then, you know, said he would be backing Brexit. And obviously we learned afterwards that he'd written two different columns, like one supporting Remain, one supporting Brexit, and then just at the last minute decided to send the Brexit one to his editor. Oh my <laughs> God, this guy. I suspect, and, I, and I, I don't know that for a fact, but I suspect that he didn't think Brexit would win. Um, and that basically would be a convenient campaign to run and then eventually replace Cameron. And and if you look back, you know, on the morning of the 24th of June 2016, like Boris and Michael Gove, they looked horrified. Like that yeah. press conference was not fun at all. I mean, it was not fun in general, but for them, you know, it wasn't like we've won suckers, you know, this is no, it. They were like, this just is like, what Jesus the, Christ. This is what the public want and we now have to follow through with it. Yeah, no, exactly. And then obviously there was the complete mess of... Boris, you know, was going to run and then he was clearly going to become the next prime minister um, and then Gove stabbed him in the back. So how did Michael Gove stab Boris Johnson in the back? Well, I think the idea was always going to be that Gove would back Boris' leadership um, contest. So, you know, again, as we've talked about in the same way that when uh, Boris was secretary of the Oxford Union, like Gove was kind of the person doing his dirty work and backing him. And then at the last minute... Michael Gove announced that he was going to give a speech or the journalists stand up and he was like, yeah, I'm running and effectively saying, you know, I no longer believe that Boris 
knows what he's doing, is as serious about his ambitions or would make a good prime minister right now. Um, and then Boris, because obviously he's got the flair for the drama, still did this big press conference where everyone assumed that he was about to announce that he was going to run for prime minister and like gave this super long speech to Dennis in the room and just at the very end. But like, like in stupid like reality TV or something was like, you know, see like, and this is why I'm not running for leader, blah, blah, blah. Damn. And then, you know, obviously the, the rest is kind of history on that front of like Theresa May. Um, became leader. So she obviously like, appointed Boris Johnson to be her foreign secretary. The role of foreign secretary in British politics historically has reasonably often been given to actually people who are quite likely to plot. Mm. Um, because actually, if you're foreign secretary, you have to be out of the country a lot. Um, mm. You just have to be away all the time. Um, and you're not physically in Westminster. And again, because Westminster is such a physical place. Yeah. That the wisdom is that actually, you know, if we ship him off to like different countries, he's not going to have the time or the space to plot. Obviously, it didn't quite work out. But yeah, no, so, you know, resigned from the cabinet. Um, and yeah, long, long story short, here we are. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I do think Boris Johnson's buffoon-like image isn't that. The whole buffoon thing is just part of making him sort of more palatable to people. I think it's family kind of mannerisms. So, no, I think that very much is Boris Johnson. Because you've got to try and make an extremely wealthy, privately educated, Oxford-educated person palatable. I think Boris Johnson is a buffoon. <laughs> and I don't think it's an act. So just referring back to when we were talking about Boris and Eaton and you said how he formed his personality there, what sort of personality traits did he get from there? Well, I think like Boris has that thing of, you know, of the bumbling idiot. So we talked about the hair earlier and the fact that, you know, his hair's always quite messed up and like his clothes always look a bit wrong. And no matter, I think, you know, how hard people try to make him dress well, he always looks a bit, you know looks a bit weird. And that image, I guess, again, of the kind of bumbling buffoon of like, he's not threatening. You know, the, the idea of him just being like, you know, it's just Boris, isn't it? It's just Boris. So he just makes jokes and, you know, and he mumbles a bit and he says the wrong thing sometimes. And I think that allows you, especially, and I think, you know, it's very much based in class and gender as well. But I think especially posh white men can get away with so much more if they've got that image of like, oh, no, yeah. but it's just Boris. You know, he's not serious. He's just yeah. a bit of an idiot. When clearly, you know, he, he's someone who is very, very bright and also very, very ambitious. Yeah. But I think people gave him a lot more leeway because he's just like, oh, but it's just Boris. You know, he's just quite charming and just, just a bit weird. Yeah. So when you think about the fact that he's now become prime minister... You can still read in the papers at the moment pieces like 
what does Boris really want? What does he really think? Because, you know, there's going to be a big ministerial reshuffle soon and yeah. we have no idea what that's going to look like. And I, I don't think a normal politician can go that far without people really understanding who they are. And yes. actually, you know, and he plays on that massively as well. Of you know, And I think that's why in the leadership contest over last summer, he managed to attract so many MPs from so many different wings of the Conservative Party. The fact that even like the super wet ones backed him, the super right wing one backed him. It's very much, you know, that cliche. And I think that's why for quite a long time, like, not anymore, I think, but for quite a long time, he played quite well abroad because he is, you know, the exact image of w- that we have of like, the posh English dude who's, you know, like, you know, yeah, terribly, terribly posh and, you know, quite rich but never talks about it and really, like, a bit awkward and quite eccentric, you know, but also a bit of a maverick. Like, that, he's basically a cartoon character, I think, of what, you know, people think, yeah, like, some, you know, like, powerful Englishman should be. But other than him being, like, obviously a white male, what else do you think that allows people to look past that? Like, for example, if, to me, he was a really good politician or a really good PM, I would surpass that I'd be like oh okay but he's done this for people he's done that for people what do you think like for example him as a mayor the mayor of London what did he do to help people that was like okay no he's actually a good MP the one good thing that I can think of Boris Johnson doing is the Boris bikes but I was just gonna say that that's all I know that he's done that's Ken Livingston Boris is really good at that Ken Livingston started the Boris bikes um, and started the Olympics. Um, so Boris did very little. And actually, when you look, you know, most of what he did screwed up. So, you know, all the new buses that don't have, you know, I'm sure you've taken them that don't have um, windows on the first floor. Yeah. So in the summer, <laughs> yeah. you feel like you will die crossing London. Um, that or the fact that, you know, he tried to do the garden bridge, which didn't work out at all. What Damn. was it? There was like a potential airport that was going to be nicknamed Boris Island. Basically, if you really look at what he did as London mayor, he just had a lot of quite kooky ideas, ideas that did that not work. At all, or like when he bought what was it after the riots? I think uh, when he bought water cannons and then realized that water cannons are illegal, um, oh, so like sold them God. for parts, I think, to this Germany. Guy, bro. Um, <laughs> but but I think effectively, he is again, he's a very charming character. I think he knows how to pull people's strings because even I saw that when he was doing the debate with Jeremy Corbyn, and how when he was having the debate, he kept bringing up Brexit like, I can get Brexit done, Jeremy Corbyn can't, I can, and he knows that that's. That's what people want to hear right now. That's why he kept repeating it. So I think he knows, I think he's a people person and knows how to do that. I don't think he's a good person, but because he can do that, that's why maybe. He and appeals, it's, yeah. Because obviously like Boris, we've not really talked about that yet, but he is a massive womanizer. Like he's got, you know, he does not know how many children he has. Wow. Um, and yeah, and even his Wikipedia page, I think is something like kids, like six or seven or something. <laughs> Or it has which all. Is insane. It's, it's mad. Um, you know, Imagine but- being that maybe child. <laughs> During the um, election campaign, people previously brought up Boris's racist, mor- like what he's written before, in racist terms. How did that all slide off like, and allow him to go forward into prime minister? Well, I think everything basically, like, he's the Teflon um, politician, like everything kind of like slides off him, not, nothing sticks. I think, again, it's kind of going back to that persona of the person who never really takes anything seriously, who kind of means well, who's just here to have a nice time. And I think it's a lot easier to defend yourself from, for example, accusations of racism when, you know, especially your allies are going to be like, well, he didn't mean it. You know, it's clearly just a column. He was just trying to be funny. He's written quite a lot of like quite problematic sexist stuff as well. That, you know, just like, bounced off him really easily Tough so I think one. that he's yeah like I I don't know and I think that's why the next few years are going to be really interesting because 
there will probably be scandals, but, you know, is there going to be one that'll really hit him? Because I think so far nothing has properly hit him. So from hearing about Boris Johnson's story, how could me and Nuruddin get some tips on maybe because how we can be PM? Because obviously we're so different from him, but we're so different from all the other MPs like David Cameron, Tony Blair. And obviously as being a female, there's only been two female PMs. And Nuruddin, you're Somali and there's been no Somali MP. Somali, hey, I'm going to be PM. the first Somali MP, PM in front of number 10 down the street. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> I already got a picture outside there, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be there. So for Nuruddin and for us, what tips could we use from their stories and to become PM? Well, um, apart from using a time machine and being born posh, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I do think actually, like drive is probably what unites a lot of the former prime ministers. Of like, you know, not necessarily like you know, it doesn't really matter. I think when you decide you kind of want to do something like this, but clearly, once you've decided, just very much having a one-track mind. Actually, weirdly, the lesson you can probably learn from Boris Johnson, and in that way, I think he's quite similar to Donald Trump. I think a lot of the comparisons between Trump and Boris are wrong. You know, they're very different people, very different politicians. However, Boris doesn't seem to really know shame, like what it is, what it does, how to react to it. And I think part of the reason why nothing sticks to him is that normally in politics, shame plays a massive part. So it's, you know, MP, let's say politician does a thing that's wrong, press shames the person, the person feels shame and either resigns or, you know, kind of like takes a step back or promises they'll never do the same thing again. If you remove that shame step, there's actually not much anyone can do. Thank you, Marie, for coming to speak to us. I had a really, really good conversation. Yeah, that was having me. very informative and I learned so much. So Nuruddin, what did you learn? Like he got people to like him in comments like that are in his party. I think she taught me how you just need to win people over. You need to not make them like you, but like form a connection. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same in like the House of Commons, how it works. Yeah. Oh, we really like him. We want him. We want him to. So I think that's how he became up. In the actual parliament vote, like he had to make sure all of the Tory people wanted him there, wanted him in power. Yeah, because I was about to say I really liked Jeremy Corbyn and I really wanted him to win. Yeah, yeah. But from the debates and stuff, even I could see Boris he's Johnson getting, is looking yeah, way better. Overrun. Yeah, he's getting overrun. Yeah, because Boris Johnson knows how to debate. And I think that's another technique as well. Know your competitor and know what your people want to exactly. hear. And then keep playing those strings and keep letting those You're people right. know what you want to hear. You're right. It's who you know and how you talk to them and how you get your point across to them. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly. I've been Sabrina. And I've been Nuruddin. And thanks a lot to Marie Leconte for coming in. You can find more of her work on vice.com. This episode was produced by the Vent production team, Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Mareed Majid, Ollie Adnington and Kamaya Shea Cowell. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.